Welcome, everybody, to the Dayson Digest. This is March 15th, 2023. My name is Schaefer Spires, Medical Director for Dayson. And today we have a special guest, Dr. Ethan Brenneman, who is our PGY2 infectious disease uh, pharmacist over with the ASSET team at uh, the Duke Stewardship Program. And we're very fortunate to have Ethan working with us this month, who is going to help us do a newsletter, do today's podcast. And uh, several of you may have already met him on a Dayson site visit with one of our liaisons. Uh, Ethan, thanks for being here today. No problem. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here today. And before we begin, I also wanted to give a shout out to another Dayson pharmacist, Melissa Johnson, who just had a publication on diagnostic stewardship in Drugs in Context. Oh, thanks for bringing that up. Yeah, fantastic article. Uh, and obviously a very relevant topic. So what are we going to talk about today? So today we're going to be talking about the two new RSV vaccines that are on the FDA approval process and were just discussed by the FDA advisory board um, just last week. Well, this is such interesting stuff, and I'm so excited about these vaccines. I tell you, that RSV is an underappreciated burden in our healthcare industry uh, and for patients. Um, do you mind elaborating on, on what that burden actually looks like? Totally. So as, as Dr. Spire said, RSV or respiratory um, syncytial virus is one of the most common low respiratory tract infections in America, and it can really cause serious and symptomatic disease in people at the um, extremes of age, so um, elderly people as well as infants, and those are our two most vulnerable populations. The CDC estimates that up to 120,000 adults, elderly adults every year in the United States are hospitalized due to RSV. Mm. And currently, we have very limited treatment options and no vaccines on the market. Yeah, that, that's, uh, you know, I'm not sure how that number hits you guys, but that that is that number is is actually very close to what the flu hospitalizations are, too. And, and in my mind and, and the patients that we see, I, I see sick people with RSV just as much as I see sick people with flu. And unfortunately, the diagnostics for RSV kind of lag behind the diagnostics for flu. And so we we were largely unaware of the fact that it was happening right before our eyes, this this kind of epidemic that, uh, or I wouldn't say epidemic, but a, a you know a huge seasonal uh, influx of the serious respiratory disease from RSV uh, happened at the same time as flu. I bet too that when you get sick and you feel like you have the flu and you test negative, I bet about half those times uh, it, it's RSV. It's such a super contagious virus. Uh, just just like flu is and, and COVID is. Uh, so we've got some answers, some hope here to try to reduce the, the burden. Um, let's start talking about these vaccines. It sounds like uh, both Pfizer and GSK have submitted applications to the FDA. And this is where we are going to get our information uh, that we're going to talk about today from these, uh, the VLA uh, uh, applications. Um, so first, why don't we let's let's talk about what the Pfizer vaccine looks like. Well, what is it called? Um, yes. So the Pfizer vaccine has a brand name of, of Abrisvo, and this is um, a bivalent antigen vaccine to the um, RSVA and RSVB subgroups. So an antigen subunit vaccine is when they take a small protein that's produced by the virus and harvest that into the vaccines. So you're not actually getting exposed to any 
um, RSV virus during this vaccination, just one of the antigens that can promote an immune response. Yeah, really cool stuff. So uh, it's a subunit uh, recombinant uh, antigen vaccine, which is not a novel platform, right? There's other vaccines that we that are already out there that we've all probably gotten, especially like hepatitis B, uh, which as healthcare workers, we're all required to get. It uses the same uh, platform. Um, there are some others, uh, HPV vaccine, uh, meningitis vaccine or MinB vaccine, uh, and some of the flu vaccines also use the same platform. And uh, before we go into the information from that trial, the uh, GSK vaccine, which is called RxV, also uses a similar platform, but a little bit different. Can you tell me how? Yes. So the RxV vaccine uses um, a subgroup protein, just like the Pfizer one. However, they only have um, RSV subgroup A, but they're giving you twice as much of it. And then they combine that with an adjuvant, a liposomal adjuvant. So an adjuvant is an additive to a vaccine to help enhance the immune response and have higher antibody production after exposure to that antigen. And so the one there is a liposomal formulation that is used in other vaccines to help enhance the immune response. Absolutely. Yeah. It's uh, sometimes that means you get a little bit more of a robust uh, reactogenic response. Uh, but in saying that, you know, part of the problem with vaccines is that younger people uh, respond to them, uh, not only a better or higher antibody titers, but also their cell mediated response is a little more robust. And that is what wanes as you get older is your cell mediated response and adjuvant uh, tends to uh, help that immunogenicity uh, part of your uh, response as you age. Um, okay, so let's go back to the Pfizer vaccine. Um, and again, I'm, I'm going to keep blanking on the names, but it's a, a breath. So a breath. So is that right? Mm -hmm. Um, so their trial, uh, of course, uh, it's gotta be somewhere between 30 and 40,000 patients for a phase three randomized control multinational. Um, and do you mind going through a little bit of the design and, uh, methods and start going through the results? Yes, we can totally do that. So when they, um, when these companies present to the FDA advisory board, they have a summation of all of their preclinical and clinical trials. And so for this one, a majority of Pfizer's data came from a very large phase three international randomized double-blind um, placebo-controlled trial of the Abrespo vaccine compared to placebo in 34,000 adults. So this included adult patients age 60 or older. And one of the key exclusion criteria was immunocompromised. So these were um, they excluded adults with malignancy, with immunocompromising conditions. So these were um, elderly immunocompetent adults enrolled in the study to either get one dose of the Pfizer vaccine prior to the um, 2021 RSV season compared to one dose of placebo. Okay. And to clarify, elderly, you mean older adults because it was just over 60. Over right? 60, yes. Yeah. That, that's, yes. As I get closer there, it's less... It's I get less point. likely to call it elderly. Um, okay, so they studied adults uh, over 60. Uh, and then um, what, what do we have for uh, the case definition uh, for primary outcomes for this Pfizer study? So for the Pfizer study, they look, the primary outcome was diagnosis of RSV lower respiratory tract infection. So this was um, a PCR or genetic confirmed RSV infection 
as well at least two symptoms of lower respiratory tract infection. And that was their primary outcome with their secondary being prevention of lower respiratory tract infection from RSV with three or more symptoms, which was their rough equivalent to a severe disease. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. And that, that and that and that's going to get into a little bit of the differences as we talk about the next trial uh, in the case definition for their primary endpoints and secondary endpoints. Yeah, and just a few more points. In this trial, the median age was 68 years old. 60% of the patients were located in the United States and around 80% were white. Um, and then the gender ratio was pretty balanced, uh, male and female, 50-50. Okay. So what do we got here? What, what's the vaccine efficacy that they determined? Yes. Yeah, so overall, the rate of RSV infection was pretty low with diagnosed you know, symptomatic disease. Um, in the placebo arm, out of 16,000 patients, 33 or 0.2% had lower respiratory tract infection from RSV compared to 11 or 0.1% in the Pfizer arm. This gave them a vaccine efficacy of 66.7% with a 95% confidence interval between 29 and 86% at, pre at preventing um, lower respiratory tract disease with two or more symptoms. Okay. Uh, okay. And then how did it do, did they separate it out in age groups so they can tell, tell people that if you're 80 and over or 60 and over, it benefited you more? They do have, um, they do separate out into age groups. However, due to such low number of cases, the confidence intervals in those age groups are very wide. And so it was not obvious whether there was a certain age group that was necessarily more efficacious. Okay, gotcha. All right. So we got in the mid 60s uh, for, for this one. Um, what about the side effects, things that got to be worried, safety concerns, any safety signals in this trial? So overall, in this trial, around 12% of patients experienced local injection site reaction, primarily pain, primarily on the milder to moderate side. Um, very few patients experienced severe adverse reactions to the um, vaccine. So I, I think, you know, typical vaccine, so soreness in the arm, maybe redness or swelling. Some patients felt fatigue, fever um, in the, in the, with the Pfizer vaccine compared to placebo. And then of note, uh, the most significant would be Guillain-Barre syndrome, which is, uh, I'll let you define. Well, it's just a ascending paralysis, demyelinating disease. Uh, and so a lot of times people show up with uh, lower extremity weakness that is moving up to your core and, or not your core, but your upper extremities and eventually can affect your ability to breathe. And you usually will end up in the hospital for sometimes weeks at a time while they monitor you and sometimes put you on a rest of, uh, a ventilator until uh, you can recover. You got to get, you know, IVIG uh, to try to uh, keep, it's basically an immune system reaction. And so uh, it is a known complication of vaccines because that's the uh, point of a vaccine is to increase the immune response. And sometimes this happens. We have a uh, a background rate of of Guillain-Barre syndrome, which is like one and a half to three per what one hundred thousand. And uh, and so that is where the the data safety and uh, uh, medical review boards will will kind of hold these vaccines to as long as it's not showing in these trials anything higher than that rate. 
then uh, it, it shouldn't be a problem. The other thing that I think is underappreciated for a lot of us is viruses themselves can elicit uh, uh, Guillain-Barre. Like, you know, a couple of studies uh, several years ago show that their Guillain-Barre for certain uh, flu strains is actually uh, 10 to 20 times higher than the background rate. Um, and so sometimes it's hard to tease out because it's still a very rare occurrence. So we've got how many cases in this this Pfizer trial? Yeah, so in this Pfizer trial, there were two cases of Guillain-Barre syndrome out of over seventeen thousand people who received the vaccine. Yeah, so that 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 sounds I mean high because it's a very serious complication, but it's still a very rare uh, entity. Because of this, the FDA actually said uh, you've got to do a, a pretty specific uh, enhanced. Uh, monitoring uh, scenario for their phase four, the, the post-marketing um, uh, part of their uh, trial, I guess, which is basically once it comes out, they're going to have to come up with a plan to uh, rapidly assess any of these potential immune-mediated adverse events. And so that, that Pfizer is still potentially going to, you know, they still recommended that uh, at least this advisory panel recommended the FDA do approve this, but they're going to have to do it with a caveat that they have to have an enhanced uh, vigilant or a pharmacovigilance plan for looking uh, for these immune-mediated syndromes. Um, that is correct. For these large clinical trials for vaccines, the FDA and the company running the, or the pe people running the study will both review all serious immune response, both in the placebo and definitely in the vaccine arm, and then try to assess whether or not this was related to the vaccine. And as you mentioned, for the Pfizer trial, two patients had Guillain-Barre syndrome that was felt related to getting the vaccine. One of them, the patient did require hospitalization and treatment. Um, however, within around two to three months, he returned to baseline and had re restored um, neurological function. And the other one was a patient who had uh, Miller-Fisher syndrome, which is a, a variant of Guillain-Barre syndrome that was relatively mild and actually did not even require any treatment and mm. resolved on their own. So of the two cases, both were treated. One did require hospitalization and neither patient. And there are no deaths in either arm thought to be associated with the vaccine for okay. these 17,000 patients. Uh, well, that's good. Those bit more details, a little bit more comforting to me too. Um Okay, so we got a, a pretty good vaccine efficacy here for this uh, Pfizer vaccine and no real signal for Guillain-Barre, but it's important for us to know and think about this uh, in the background and the normal side effects of like pain, local site uh, injection uh, pain is around 15% or so. Is that, am I right? Yeah. Okay, well, let's, uh, that's good. So let's talk about the GSK vaccine. Uh, which is called, tell me again, Arexvi. Arexvi. Uh, okay, so there's a little bit difference in these clinical trials. Go, tell me about it. So Arexvi, um, in their advisory board paper, much like Pfizer, they, they put together all of their preclinical and clinical trials, and a bulk of their data comes from a large phase three international double-blind placebo-controlled trial that looked at a total of 25,000 patients to either get Arexvi or placebo. I think what's also interesting is they is uh, GSK also did a trial looking at giving um, their RSV vaccine with their flu vaccine. So we have some data from getting both the RSV and flu vaccine at the same time or in a staggered order. So they have their large phase three trial of vaccine versus placebo to look at efficacy. And then they have a second trial that's smaller looking 
at RSV vaccine plus flu vaccine for kind of safety and efficacy as well. When looking at the primary outcome, they have lower respiratory tract disease with two or more symptoms, which is very similar to the Pfizer one as the primary outcome. And in, in, in their data, seven out of the 12,500 patients who got RSV had RSV, lower respiratory tract disease, compared to 40 out of 12,500 in the placebo arm. So this gave them a vaccine efficacy of 82.6% with a 95% confidence interval of 57.9 to 94%. So when looking compared to Pfizer, this is a higher vaccine efficacy for patients with two or more symptoms. Though again, as you mentioned, the trials do define disease slightly differently, but in general, these are, I feel like, would you say these are pretty indicative of a more serious RSV infection? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I, the case definition is a little bit different, so it's not perfectly measuring apples to apples. So I don't know if I can necessarily say 82% is better than 67%, uh, although that may be the case. I'm not sure we can say that. I think it's a little bit more would go into if you're trying to decide which vaccine eventually to, to get. Um, that You did mention the number of cases, so they did have a higher number of cases and therefore a little bit tighter uh, confidence interval. Um, and they also had more severe cases. Do you have those numbers? I would have to double check those. I think the severe cases, they had 12 severe cases in this trial, whereas the Pfizer only had two and yeah. the placebo arm. So and, yeah. And then in, the, in when looking at vaccine efficacy for severe cases in the GSK trial, they found the vaccine efficacy was 94 um, percent, so even higher for yeah, prevention of severe cases. Yeah, that's great news. Okay, so this is the one with the adjuvant. So what were the uh, reactions? So as Dr. Spire mentioned earlier, adjuvants can cause sometimes local irritation as it is enhancing the immune response. So in the RxV study, they found that 60% of patients had local injection site reactions. Mostly, a majority of them was pain. So again, this is it's on the milder side. You know, it's not severe pain, but these patients compared to the Pfizer vaccine definitely had more localizing uh, symptoms um, in their study. And that's likely due to the addition of an adjuvant. So they had 60% local injection site reactions and up almost 50% had some systemic adverse effect. Again, mostly mild, mostly things like uh, fatigue, headache, you know, some of the ones we associate commonly with vaccines. And that, you know, this is interesting too. And I, uh, I think I saw this on the table talking about the grade three, which three grade three reactions are those that actually affect normal activities. And so in, in all those reactions, even though 60% of them had some local site, I think around 1% where it only had a grade three reaction. 1.5%, exactly. Okay. Uh, and, and that in contrast to like, remember the, the, some of the COVID vaccines, like we were all getting these huge body aches and having to take Tylenol and some people were having to take days off from work after you get the shot. And this is, while this is a reactogenic vaccine, I would say, uh, it's not anything like what we, uh, were seeing in the trials from the COVID vaccines, the mRNA platform vaccines, correct? Yeah, I would say so. You know, you mentioned the, the adjuvant being this kind of proprietary liposomal, uh, mixture of things. The adjuvant itself is not anything that's not necessarily natural. It's just really good at eliciting immune response. And, and it's, it's a proprietary thing that, that, uh, GSK uses in several of their other vaccines, like Shingrix, for instance, has a pretty, uh, has a similar, you know, ASO type uh, proprietary mix of liposomal 
things that go in there, but it it, it is uh, I think there's actually less in the in, in in this one than there were in Shingrix. It certainly did not have the same reactogenic or reactions as Shingrix. Shingrix is pretty rough. Yeah. And then when looking for the GSK vaccine, looking at the more serious um, adverse reactions, out of 12,467 exposed patients, one patient did experience Guillain-Barre syndrome that both the FDA and the investigators felt was related to the vaccine. Again, this patient did require hospitalization and treatment, but, after, but had a full, full recovery. So um, we have for the Pfizer vaccine, two out of roughly 17,000 patients having Guillain-Barre syndrome and for the RxV, one out of 12,500. Um, unlike for the Pfizer vaccine, the FDA advisory board did not recommend a specific post-marketing study looking at Guillain-Barre syndrome and did not mandate that GSK do any specific studies looking for this adverse reaction. So that is a key difference in kind of the advisory board suggested approval for the two drugs is that for um, the GSK, they had a vote in favor of efficacy 12-0 and a vote in favor of safety 10-2, and they did not mandate specific trial post-marketing trials. Compared with Pfizer, the vote for both safety and efficacy was 7-4, to four, and they mandate that specific post-marketing trial to look out for Guillain-Barre syndrome. So key differences in kind of how the FDA advisory board interpreted these data and gave the recommendations. Yeah, and I think in in and it's not necessarily they have to do a, an extra trial as much as they have to come up with a plan for post marketing surveillance. So like uh, we learned so much in the post marketing surveillance for the COVID vaccines because the system provided such an ample opportunity for people to report adverse effects, uh, which is great because quite frankly, with that, if somebody doesn't report it, then we don't know about it. But when somebody puts it on their blog, for example. And starts talking about things we can't do anything with that and so we always highly encourage people with any any potential adverse effect to enter it into the various system v-a-e-r-s uh, which is run by the cdc because that is how they track it that is our objective monitoring system uh very easy to do anybody can do it from their own home they don't have to be a physician or pharmacist to do it uh, you know, patients do it, and and this is where we get these signals from, and so it's going to be very important. And the and like Ethan said, the the Pfizer uh, vaccine group it has to come up with a plan how to act towards these potential immune mediated reactions. It has to be a little bit quicker, a little bit more robust response based uh, on a, a potential signal that might come up. Both of these drugs are going to get the same approval, which the decision should come out from the FDA this May of 2023. Okay. And they're both would get approval for prevention of RSV infection in adults 60 years or older. It's lower respiratory tract infection, yes. right? Yes. Which they did some of these, they, they did look at acute respiratory infection, which includes upper, mm -hmm. but these vaccines are specifically requesting for approval for the lower respiratory yes, tract infection. I think this does leave some, a lot of clinical questions in terms of other patient populations who are at high risk for these lower respiratory tract infections. That includes infants, that includes immunocompromised patients, and that includes pregnant women. Currently, Pfizer does have a phase three trial studying the efficacy of a maternal vaccination in pregnant women, both for the mother and for the infant. And GSK had a very similar trial that was halted um, about a year ago for a, a safety concerns um, that I don't believe has been restarted. 
So there is going to be further trial data, at least from the Pfizer vaccine, looking at its use in pregnant women um, and in how it prevents disease in infants. Okay, so we'll uh, hold our breath for the, uh, more information about those guys. Uh, well, that's good, man. I, I really appreciate it. Um, what else are we missing? Anything else we want to add? I think those are the key points. Okay. Well, fantastic. Ethan, thanks again for going through this with me. Uh, Ethan is also writing our newsletter for this month uh, that will uh, elaborate a lot of what we talked about uh, and uh, we'll be able to share with you guys uh, in a week or so. Again, thank you. And please uh, subscribe to the Dayson Digest. And uh, we'll be back in two weeks for another one.